Amen. Amen. And all the people say Well, we have a couple more weeks of our Practical Living Through Proverbs series, and then we'll get into uh, the Christmas services and, and the New Year. Uh, ben Green will come, and, and we'll start afresh with a different series. And so today, we're going to talk about humility and pride. And I know most of you uh, don't know who's speaking each given Sunday, uh, but when you, prob- when you saw the, the topic of humility, uh, you probably didn't think I was going to speak. So I appreciate most of you for for not laughing out loud when you saw that. Um, If you don't know me, you might not know what I'm talking about, but basically, uh, most everyone in this room is probably more qualified to speak on this topic than I am. Uh, But yet, I totally know the Son of God and I know the Holy Spirit, and they will show up, and so you will be in for a treat. Uh, because if, if, if they don't, we're all in serious trouble, okay? So uh, I might have to tell a lot of jokes because a, a, a topic on humility like this could, could likely wreck me, um, so we'll try to keep it, keep it fresh. Uh, so to start with, I need you all to pray with me if uh, you're up for it. Lord Jesus, we come before you uh, desperate and needy, and we come before you requesting and asking that your grace and your mercy would grant us the level of faith that we need to expect and to trust you to show up, to work in our life, to grow us as individuals and as a body, to wake us up if we've been sleeping in our self-perception or if we've been fighting against our need for you, or fighting against accepting what you declare is true. We need your grace to be poured upon us for any of this to happen and for any good, any righteousness, anything of eternal value to take place today. We thank you that your word says that you delight in making yourself known, you delight in bringing yourself glory, and that in your plan, uh, you, you share uh, your perfection and your holiness with those who put their faith in you. So we look forward to and invite you here and ask that at least in this next hour that you would come get your glory at Rimrock Church. Amen. Andrew Murray says, Nothing is more natural, beautiful, fitting or blessed as to be nothing in order for God to be everything. Now at face value, when you're talking about humility, when you're talking about becoming nothing, uh, that, can, that can be easy to have kind of a somber feel to it. But when we recognize that that is beautiful, fitting, and blessed, I think it, be, it becomes glorious. So to start with, we're going to define humility in a few different ways. Not that we're going to grab everything that humility is, but but it helps me to to kind of understand and get on the same page with what we're talking about, specifically because I think the idea of humility can be uh, misunderstood and misinterpreted. Humility, uh, first of all, in in my quest for trying to define this, looking in the dictionary, it says a modest or low opinion a modest or low view of one's own importance. 
And so there, there's something to that, to have a modest and low view of your own importance. Um, but I think humility needs to be defined in light of our position before God. And so to, to pull that definition out a little bit more, I would say that humility is the sense of entire nothingness when we come to see how God is everything. Or a slightly different way to say that is it's acknowledging the truth of God's position as the creator and our position as the creature. And as a result, yielding to God his place. So in a lot of ways, humility could be defined as simply recognizing that there's a God, I am not, and it is fitting and right and real to simply come underneath that power and that authority. Charles Spurgeon says, humility is the proper estimate of oneself. The proper estimate of oneself, basically allowing God to be the definer of reality. In other words, what God says we accept as real, as true, that his perception of things and his declaration of things are more real and more true than what I think, what I declare, what I feel. To me, that's humility. There's an there's a order of things, and simply it's coming underneath that. So first, humility towards God. I believe humility is, is I, I always see it to be the gateway to the rest of the Christian virtues. Meaning, I don't think I ever arrive at possessing and expressing other godly virtues if I have not first taken some level of humility. I think that is the, the gateway to all that is good. Uh, humility, I believe, is the one indispensable condition in true fellowship with Jesus Christ. For if I don't have hum the humility to recognize that I'm sick, if I don't have the humility to recognize that I'm broken, if I don't have the humility to recognize that I'm diseased with sin and with pride, then there is no way that I can enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ as Savior. There's no way I come to repentance and acknowledge my need without humility. And if I don't know I have a need, I don't have use for a Savior. Humility is not self-loathing. So throughout this sermon, uh, we're going we're gonna to unpack more of what humility is and how to express it and how to cultivate it in our life. We're going to compare it with pride, the opposite of. But I think it's very easy to, to think through humility and think this uh, uh, kind of, it's, it's not self-loathing, hating yourself, um, walking around, uh, kind of the worm such as I, uh, I don't see that as humility, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Because I think our, our society has done a couple things. We, we take this idea, this spectrum, that there is individuals with low self-esteem, and so we need to move them over here where they have high self-esteem, and that's going to fix everything. Okay? If, the, if, if your tendency is to self-condemn and, and hate, well, we just got to get you over here to, to, to think so highly of yourself. And the problem is the people who think highly of themselves are usually the individuals who hurt others. 
The people who think highly of themselves are usually the individuals who, who abuse and who, who in, in control and force their will on other people. And so the solution is not to move from low self-esteem to high, or even high self-esteem, which is kind of the obvious pride, to, to real low self-esteem. I think we need to get off that spectrum altogether, and I think we need to esteem Christ. Because whether you have low or high self-esteem, the focus is still on who? The focus is still on self. And so to, I don't know where you find yourself on the spectrum, where you tend in the flesh, but I think the solution is to recognize the more you esteem Christ, you, that will produce humility in you, but it won't be one of self-loathing. It won't be one of self-condemnation. It won't be one of self-hatred. It'll be what I think the Bible sees as humility. Humility does not mean that you can't acknowledge greatness when you see it. This is a little dangerous and scary to say out loud, but even in yourself. See, most of the time we think, it's, humility is not a beautiful woman saying she's not beautiful or an incredible architect saying he has no architecture skills or a wonderful musician saying, oh, he, he's no good, he's no good. Well, the Bible warns us about not speaking about that, not being the one to boast about herself. It says, let another praise you. But it's not denying the gifts and the things that God has given you. God has given you all incredible gifts. You have talents in different arenas and different areas. And sometimes humility, it's okay to embrace that, but to recognize that you glory in what is accomplished through your gifts, and I can glory in what is accomplished in your gifts just as much as I could in mine. I mean, if there's something beautiful created, I celebrate if Eric created it just as much as if I created it. See, that's humility. Many times we act like, oh, you can't, you, can't, you can't acknowledge any of that. I see that as false humility a lot of times. And so again, this is not like we tote our accomplishments and our talents. Scripture's quick to say, ah, leave that to somebody else. But before God, I think what he's more interested in is when you see greatness in others, and even when you see sparks of it in yourself, recognizing who the source of that comes from. Recognizing that all good comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not? It's the acknowledgement of everything good in your life. Everything has been gifted to you. And so it's okay to recognize something good so long as you give credit to the source. We don't, I don't go around bragging that I have brown eyes. This is obvious. I didn't have anything to do with that. And though you might put in work and you might put in practice of, of refining a skill or kindness or other virtues, it's recognizing that even the work and even the practice and even the, the, the wherewithal to go about your business and try to fine-tune things in your life, even that is a gift from God. One of the things that I've, um, I'm on discovery, hopefully, I know it, it will continue all my life, but when trying to cultivate humility within yourself, 
I think we first think through our relationship towards God, humility towards God. But another aspect that God grows us greatly in and is very, very practical and has lots of action points is humility towards others. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done unto me. And so Christ was as humble in his relationship with people as he was towards God. We see this all throughout the Gospels when Jesus came to earth and lived in human form. In Luke uh, 22, Jesus declares, I came to serve. He's serving the Father. He's serving others. And though he continued to teach on our humility in our position underneath God, it was almost always focused on expressing itself externally to other people. Listen to this. I believe that our love for God is measured in our love for people. That my love for God, the one tangible thing that I can measure is my love for people. I get that from 1 John 4.20 and some other verses. It says this, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you want to work on and cultivate becoming a more humble individual, focus on loving your brother. Focus on loving your sister. Matthew 20, 27 says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Again, in relationship with the people around you. Ephesians 5, 20 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So a reverence for Christ is posturing yourself underneath him, and as a result of that, the command is, out of that humility, you will come underneath each other. Philippians 2.3 is one of the most popular verses here. In humility, count others as more significant than yourself. There's moments where I taste that or I execute that, but to, to habitually be more concerned about your agenda and your happiness than my own, that seems impossible to me. That seems like the unicorn. What if I constantly was genuinely more concerned about what you want than what I want, your will than mine? I would say, I would say impossible, if not God saying all things are possible. And I've, I, Jesus showed me this, and Jesus did this, and he's going to bring us, he's got a long way to go for me, but he's going to get us there. Amen? The opposite, what is the thing that continues as we try to move towards humility, as we try to, to wear this and express this in its truest sense? What is the thing that keeps pushing against that? Pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. They're in opposition of each other. This is spirit in the flesh. Proverbs 18, 12 says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, lifted up, but humility comes before honor. 
Really, I want to talk about two different faces of pride. I think it's almost everywhere and in everything. Uh, from an individual who many of you know what it's like to be broken. And looking at your life story, looking at my life story, I think, my goodness, there should be zero pride left in me. But I am sad to say it doesn't take very long after your moments and your seasons and your times of fallenness and brokenness that it creeps back up, right? It finds its way into everything. But the two areas that I want to talk about are this. One is the very overt pride of I don't need anything. The arrogance that says I don't need rescued. The arrogance that says I know everything. There's nothing you or God or anyone else can add to me. If you're sitting here, there's a probably pretty safe to know that you, you don't want that. And even though it pops up, uh, we don't want to be about that. But the other sneaky aspect of pride is much less obvious. And it's, I'm going to categorize it as false humility. If humility is declaring God is God and therefore what he says is true, and as a result I'm going to accept that, then if I'm an individual that looks humble, that doesn't carry myself in cockiness, but continues within my own heart to push against what God says about me is true, if I continue to not accept the fact that he has declared me his beloved, if I continue, if he says, Nick, I have washed you from every sin, every deed, every thought that isn't holy, isn't righteous, I have cleansed you from that. If I struggle to accept that, if I have trouble forgiving myself or receiving that, how is that anything other than pride? It doesn't look like it, does it? But if God says you're forgiven and I say, no, 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 no. All I'm saying is you don't know and I do. And so recognizing that just like on one side is this arrogance and haughty, I don't need you. If we continue to be unaccepting of what God has said, it is the same wrestling match. You don't know. I heard what you said. I know. So be careful of the look of pride. Pride and self-exaltation are the very gateway to hell. When you think about Satan and I, we're not going to talk about this full, whole story, but the fall of Satan from heaven. What was his problem? Pride. He wanted to exalt himself above God. And there's a bit of that in every one of us. And that's the thing that has to die. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Andrew Murray, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Sometimes it's helpful to know what benefits and what promises that we get when pursuing either pride, which will be consequences, or humility, which will be rewards. So what's humility get you? Look on screen here and we'll, we'll throw them up here. Pay attention to the verses. Let God's word speak to you. One, humility gets you God's positive attention. 
Isaiah 66, 2 says, This is the one to whom I look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When that's your heart posture, God, God's gaze is upon you. It gives you God's presence. Isaiah 57, 15 says, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite heart and lowly in spirit. God says, that's where I want to hang out. And you know what's really interesting about that? We are made in the image of God. What kind of people do you want to hang out with? Anybody love being around real cocky, arrogant people? No one, not a soul. Why in the heck would I take that on? We love being around humble people. It's so attractive. Humble people make you feel better, right? It's just, it's magic. And God says, that's where I want to hang out too. Humility gets you the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same part of scripture. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The kingdom of heaven, inheriting the earth. Probably not fully, but part of what I understand that to mean is that we have, as humble people, we have a purpose and a part some authority and some ownership in establishing God's kingdom on earth. He writes us into the work that he's doing. If we want to be a part of that, if we want that kind of purpose to inherit the earth, to help build the kingdom of heaven, it says, you want that? This is how it comes. Humility. Coming underneath. Number five. Humility, you get to see God. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What an honor. Pure in heart, again, going back to our definition, if humility has to do with, purity basically means that there's no defilement, there's no lie, it's all pure, it's all good, right? And if part of humility is simply letting God declare reality and truth, then a pure heart is one that says, this is all true because you say it's true. The opportunity to see God. Humility gets you exalted. Luke 18, 14 says, He who humbles himself will be exalted. Similar language, James 4, 10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. And we don't always get to define what exaltation looks like sometimes it's promotion sometimes it's a better reputation sometimes it's what we would typically think on the surface of what it means to be exalted but again going back to how do you feel when you see uh, the CEO of a large company park at the farthest parking spot or share an office or how do, you, how do you feel towards an individual who's the head of the house and he's the one serving? In your opinion of those individuals, does it go down or does it go up? It always goes up. So regardless of what exaltation looks like externally, 
I think we can be sure that when we humble ourselves, that our reputations and our influence will increase. Now, word of warning mostly to myself, it's very easy then to try to look humble. It's very easy to try. I want, I want to come across humble. I want you to think I'm humble. That's sneaky too, right? And something that God showed me is, are you, are you humble when it's just you and I? What's that look like? What, my, what does my prayer life look like when no one else is hearing me pray or no one else is watching me? Am I one to be quick to confess my sin before God when no one else can say, oh, there's a humble guy? Like, what am I like before God when no one's watching? I think that's a great litmus test for me. Am, am I more interested in looking humble or truly being humble with my own heart? Humility gives you grace. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. One of our Proverbs verses, 334, to the humble he gives favor, favor or grace. So if we want to be recipients of the gifts and the graciousness of God, recipients of favor, it says, oh, guess how you get that? Humility. Lastly, it gives you honor. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. In our society, we tag things as top shelf. That means best, right? That's, that's where the good stuff is. That's where the greatest blessings are, top shelf. In God's, God's economy, his greatest blessings, his greatest gifts are always on the floor. If you want the gifts in the favor of God, it's not going to require you to exalt yourself and try to continue to succeed and achieve. It's going to require you to get on your face. And he says in those times, at, at that level, that's where the good stuff comes. That's where I will satisfy you. It's like water. Water always finds its way to the lowest point, right? It will find its way to the lowest point. And I see God's blessings doing the same thing. It's going to land most assuredly on those who are laid low. Scripture says in Corinthians that I boast, Paul says, I boast in my weakness. For when I am weak, I am strong. I boast in my weakness for the power of Christ rests, comes and makes its home, lands and stays on me in my acknowledging that weakness. Because the reality is we all are weak. We're not, we're not getting out of that. What we're asked to do is simply admit it. How about pride? What's pride get you? Well, for starters, eternal damnation. The wrath of God. In a very serious way, listen to Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the what? The truth. It's simply recognizing and acknowledging God gets to decide the truth. God gets to decide what's real. His perception is the correct perception. 
we all bring our opinions and our evaluations to everything. And that's okay. That's how we're made. But it's bringing those opinions and those evaluations and saying, I always hold this up to what you say, and I do my darndest to accept what you say more than what I say, more than what I think, more than what I feel. It gives you God's opposition. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe this verse is for non-believers and believers. Now, my position before God in Christ doesn't change. He loves me. He always will. I am his beloved. He delights in me, and he always will. But he can still delight in me as he opposes me. If any of my kids try to lock horns with me, I love them and I delight in them, but they're going to get some serious opposition. You remember that. <laughs> As parents, that is loving to not let them win in situations. You don't love them any less. You love them more when you're saying, whoa, you, this can't happen because this will be your demise. And so God does the same with us. Pride puts me in opposition against his best. It ushers in destruction. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. This can have a lot of faces, but you think of what pride has done to certain relationships. There's certain offenses in and of themselves, hard, but you work through them. But in the process of working through them, if you, if you see this deep sense of pride or an unwillingness to say sorry or an unwillingness to admit wrong, that reaches a whole new level, Right? destroys relationships disgrace pride gets you disgrace when pride comes then comes disgrace it gets you strife by insolence that word means pride presumptuousness or arrogance comes nothing but strife pride brings you low proverbs 29:23 one's pride will bring him low Deception. This is an interesting one. Listen to this. Proverbs 30, 12. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. So it's talking about a perception. You're clean in your own eyes. But, and then it's talking about a truth. But you're dirty. This could almost be the definition of pride is simply deception. Not recognizing what's true. Pointedly, I'm not God. Practical steps to humility. I need a lot of practical steps in life. I need every reminder that I can get. When I, uh, most of my life, part of the theme song is, I can do anything better than you can do. Anything you can do, I can do better. It just keeps playing. That's sick, isn't it? So we need to recognize we have a need to cultivate this and it is very difficult and very hard. And so God ushers in people and circumstances and situations by grace to produce humility in us so that we can become great. And one of the great ways he does this is brings us to the cross. And we'll talk about the different ways we can do that in a minute. But for starters, if you want to cultivate humility, it starts at the cross. We sang a song, Lord, I need you, how I need you, every hour I need you. That's 
becoming my theme song. That's my alarm when I wake up. That's what I hear, because I need that over and over and over. So do you. Maybe not as much, but on some levels. Reflect on the cross. Number two, again, begin every day declaring your dependence on God. Begin every day simply acknowledging and recognizing your need for him. And do your best all throughout the day to continue to turn your heart that way. I need you every hour I need you. Three, give thanks. Recognize and realize and acknowledge and declare within your own heart, with your mouth, with your songs. Praise God for the things that he's gifted you with. It is hard to be prideful when you're giving thanks because giving thanks means what? You received something. So continue to cultivate humility by simply declaring thanks. Four, serve others. We talked about that. Continue to put yourself in a position to serve other people. If being humble is a little too abstract, get busy serving somebody. Let sleep and food be simple reminders. The human body is incredible and complex, but it's incredibly fragile. We don't go very long and function very well without sleep. And just the simple fact that you need sleep ought to be that reminder of God whispering to me, see, you're just a creature. We got to continue. I don't go very well. If I don't eat in two hours, I start to, mm, right? We need to continue to be fed. And so those are things every single day that we have opportunities that God can say, simple reminders. It doesn't have to be sober. It can be thank you. Thank you that I see how weak I am. Thank you for continuing to sustain me. It is a miracle that any of us are breathing and functioning. Ask for advice, number six. A couple proverbs for you. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble is wisdom. How does that wisdom come about? A lot of different ways, but here's one. Followed up in Proverbs 13.10. We talked about by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. So be an individual who continues to ask advice from people. Now we gotta be careful of what we ask advice for from whom. But if I'm an individual who is continually listening to advice when I receive it, holding that up against God's word, but even more than that, if I'm an individual who initiates that, who, who requests it, who says, hey, tell me what you think about this. And if I'm truly listening and I'm truly going to evaluate that, that's humility. Or even, hey, I want to give you the green light. If you see this in me, would you please speak to me? It, it'd be awesome if you did it in kind of a friendly, kind way. But hey, I, I, I want to be a person that knows I have so many blind spots. And so I can't accurately evaluate myself, so I need you to help me. And in the context of love, bring those things up to me. Because I can see a lot of in other people. And I think, boy, what I would love to tell you. Well, I want to break that down. I want, 
Invite people. Speak into my life. That takes a lot of humility. It's not easy to hear, but it's good. If I want to cultivate humility, I can take all these practical steps, and I encourage you, let, let's continue to be a people that, that push ourselves in this direction, that practice these things. But with all the lists, again, I can produce a list, and I can sometimes execute a list, and a lot of it can simply be to look humble. But I think the one thing that will produce true heart level humility is to recognize and look upon the example we have in Jesus Christ. To look at the meekness of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite, meekness means gentleness and some other things, but one of my favorite definitions of meekness is power under control. And this comes from recognizing that Jesus as God, as creator, as sustainer, all things are created by him and for him. Jesus that power that all the heavens could not contain decided to come for Christmas. All the heavens cannot contain and decided to house himself in you right now. Looking at the meekness of Jesus is our inspiration to say, that's what my father's like and I want to look like my father. And praise God, one day I will. Thomas Aquinas says, if you are looking for an example of humility, look at the cross. This is when the lion became the lamb. The lion chose to become the lamb. And in a lot of ways, so that us lambs could become lions. Let's read scripture. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. There's a promise, right? Talked about earlier. God highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you ever recognize that God is more humble than you are? You talk about staggering. God is more humble than I am. If you want to cultivate humility, look at the cross. This Christmas, spend some time thinking. You'll sing about it, you'll read about it, you'll hear about it. Spend some time trying to wrap our minds around creator God who sustains me this very moment becoming a baby. Jesus is a saver and a giver of life, but he's also a killer. And he killed 
in some ways his pride, though not replacing his glory, so that he can kill my pride. And he'll continue to work on killing my pride so that I might enter my glory. David in the psalm says, Oh Lord God, awake my glory. He has blessed you with being partaker of divine nature. But he says, if you want to awake that, some things have to die. This self. And it's going to be over and over and over and over again. F.B. Meyer says, the only hope of decreasing self is increasing Christ. Reminds me of the words of John the Baptist. When he looks and sees Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. I must decrease and he must increase. And lastly, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there is only one thing that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust. And that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. We are all prideful people. And as much as I want to pray this out of me, and as much effort as I beg God, hey, continue to get rid of this, I know that one day it's going to be accomplished, but until then, I am forever going to fight this. It's going to keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up. But I'll tell you where it doesn't come up. When you stand under the cross, it is impossible to stand under the cross. It brings you to your knees. Ways to do that? Think there's probably a ton of different ways, but it needs to be personal. Jesus is a personal God. So think about that sin or those sins or that season of life of sin that maybe you haven't told anybody or you dare to even admit to yourself. And take that to the cross. Or think about the sin that continues to come up over and over and over and over and you can't seem to get a handle on it. When you go to the cross, bring that there. And I don't think it's going to result in hating yourself. I think it's going to result in absolute thanksgiving that God has removed that. Or that God offers to remove all of that. Or maybe right after that you downgrade your wife in public, that you shame your kid, that you self-loathe, that you don't have anyone to hang out with, or self-pity, that you find yourself complaining all day about this, that, or the other thing. Right after you recognize, holy cow, I am forever guilty of sin. When that comes, go to the cross. That's when it's real. That's when Jesus says, yep, for that, for that very moment and for that very thing, that's why I hung here. That's what held me here. And though in the human form Christ was fearful, he did not save you reluctantly. He knew what it would take and so he went about winning you 
to kill our pride, to exalt his Father, to be exalted himself, and to bring us with him. I need you how I need you. Every hour I need you. There's a, spend some time with that song. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. That rocked my world three and a half years ago. And that's our position. Every one of us. That's our position. Praise God that he didn't leave us on the ground. But he continues to say, I want you to put your heart there. And if you be low, I will lift you up. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your perfect ways. And I pray that as, as we continue to fight against our pride, uh, I, I pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would lead us. And really, God, I just praise you that one day, if we have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, that one day our pride will be totally destroyed. And in the meantime, would you continue to just work on us? Thank you for being gracious and patient with us. Thank you for giving us the example, Jesus, of humility, where love was defined on the cross and where we were empowered. And as we sing, and even as we, we partake in celebrating baptism, God, uh, what, a, what a joy to simply accept your cleansing and your regeneration. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen.